Hello, America. It's Ted from Consumer Cellular, the guy in the orange sweater, and this is your wake-up call. If you don't have Consumer Cellular yet, now is the perfect time to switch and save. For a limited time, new customers can get wireless service for as low as $15 a month for your first year. Yep, the same exact nationwide coverage as the leading carriers for $15 a month for an entire year. What are you waiting for? Call 1-888-FREEDOM or visit ConsumerCellular.com and use code RADIO15. See ConsumerCellular.com slash FIRSTYEAR15 for promotional details. Blog Talk Radio. You are listening to Dakota Aquatic. Your you are listening to Dakota Aquatic. Your one-stop show. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Dakota Aquatics and Reptile Show. On today's show, we have Tom Crutchfield, a legend in the reptile hobby. Without Tom, some of our stuff would not even we wouldn't even have today. He's a true pioneer in the uh, reptile hobby. Um, so I would like to welcome to the show Tom Crutchfield. Tom, how are you doing today? I'm doing good. Thank you for the kind words. And I, I should add that I'm a legend in my own mind, too. <laughs> so uh, how long have you actually been in doing this? Um, uh, probably around, uh, let me see... Over forty years. Does your, I mean, your I've been working with reptiles in some kind of ways way longer than that. I mean, I, I, I cannot remember a time I didn't have reptiles. But in terms of doing it as a vocation, well, if I count working for other people way back when, uh, probably fifty years. That's a long time. You are uh, your your career and is taking around the world. world. Your your career is taking you completely around the world. Yeah, it um, has. I've, I've been to every continent your, except for Antarctica. I've seen uh, a lot of your pictures and stuff you had on uh, on your Facebook page. So, um, what 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 got you into the part of the like the breeding? What 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 made you change doing from what you were doing before just as a hobby into your career? What what made you want to? Well, I always time. bred stuff. A lot of people don't realize that, but I was the first guy ever to breed the, the Grand Cayman Blue Iguana back in 1985. I was the first pre- person to breed Sri Lankan star tortoises. Probably the only other person I know that ever bred rhinoceros iguanas other than me was Bill Haas, and he didn't even know he bred them. They just hatched and turned up outside in the pit he had in, at the Serpentarium in Miami. But I bred rhino iguanas in the 1970s and four species of monitors in the 70s and early 80s, and you know, all kinds of stuff, radiated tortoises for years and years and years, Sakura Rikordi, all kinds of Sakura, really. But it wasn't my main hot industry. I mean, it's not what I did. I was buying and selling reptiles, so, and there was no new uh, social media, so no one even knew it other than my friends. But I didn't just start. Oh, you you just, it was, you just big grew since then, though. Well, I just, it's, it's pretty much all I do now. I'm pretty much retired, and. I pretty much only like sell what I breed or what I get from other people that breed or really rare stuff, but I don't even sit, rarely put a price list out, and I don't even sell <clears throat> the more uh, pet store type stuff and all of You know, uh, I don't even have it. I don't even want to sell it. I mean, I don't have ball oh. pipes. I don't have bearded dragons. I don't have leopard geckos, any of that stuff. 
But you do a lot of venomous stuff now, though. We do venomous, and we also have, uh, we breed albino iguanas. That's probably one of our biggest things. And we breed a lot of other things, too. I have a lot of small projects. I mean, uh, in armless stuff, Western Australian uh, black-headed pythons, uh, um, Marilia classiolipus, Moluccan scrubs, uh, Texas indigos that look almost like Florida indigos. They're so black, all kinds of snake-neck turtles, uh, diamond uh, pythons, uh, Cuban boas, all kinds of West Indian boas. I mean, the list could go on and on. Now, your albino iguanas, were you the, you're the first person to, to breed those, weren't you? The first person and to breed those. And you were the first one to... Mm-hmm. And you, I, are you the first person to... Uh, so, is there anybody else breeding those at the there's moment, couple, or is it still just you? There's a few people, but not many, and most are not doing it in numbers or in real successfully. Because they come in uh, three different colors, am I correct? Um, no, that's not really correct. Uh, there are no. two kinds of T-negative albino uh, iguanas. There's at least one kind of T-positive. Uh, the best is the Crutchfield strain, which I proved out last year. That's the prettiest one. The other kinds are the regular albinos that I was breeding before. Uh, the T-positives I never mess with because they're not they're not very nice looking. But then you have red iguanas, which are a codon morph. Uh, you have, um, like, like hypoboa. And you have the azanthic or blue iguanas, and that's a simple recessive. And if you bred that with an albino, produced hats, bred the hats together, I think the chances are 1 in 16 would turn out to be an albino blue iguana, which would be a snow white iguana. And I produced albino red iguanas this year for the first time, which is probably the best-looking morph of all. I call them Crutchfield Crimsons. This year I'll have Super Crimsons for the first time. So there's some ones that are not even around yet and have never been around, but we know what's going to happen ahead of time. We just don't know what they're going to look yeah. like. That's another interesting aspect of the whole breeding thing. Yeah. Is you know what's going to happen. You're just not sure what it's going to look like exactly. Yeah, that's right. But that's kind um, of sad, too. I feel like Dr. Frankenstein. <laughs> yeah, that's very, very exciting. Um, <clears throat> why don't you tell us a little bit about some of the travels you've done? I know you went over and you were the first person to bring back a... Uh, an albino python on my cook. Uh, huh? Hello? Hello? Yeah, are you there? Can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. Yes, I'm here. What I was saying is, uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about some of your travels, because I know you were the first person to bring back, uh, to have the albino Burmese python that you sold. I was. Clark, I didn't actually I go get those, though. I saw them in a National Geographic magazine around the neck of a guy named Mr. Dang in Thailand. And a few years after that, Bob Clark saw it, too. He wanted them, and so did I. And we used to sort of compete with each other in those days. Nowadays, we're just sort of sort of semi-retired together and still really good friends after all these years. And I've done a lot of business over the years, too. But anyway, uh, an importer in New York called Alfred Ojeda uh, said he had three albino Burmese for sale a few months after I saw the article and so forth. They were $7,000 each. <clears throat> I agreed to buy them all. There were two males and one female, adults, and I did buy them. And uh, I took a second mortgage on my house for half the money. And uh, I acquired the first three Burmese. And, of course, Bob got one. And and uh, he gave me a lot of money for a stud fee. And then later on bought one. Mario got some. I shipped one to Sri Lanka. I, I Eventually I sent one back to Dang because it was his pet. Because I went to Thailand the following year and found out that they had been stolen from him. I didn't know that at the time. And the female was a pet of his. So when I got back, I shipped that one back to him just because we became such good friends. 
And um, he sent me two more females in the next three months or so. And then a guy named Olaf Pronk got one more that he sent to uh, Ed Chapman that went to Ernie Wagner. So all in all, there were six albino Burmese, not just three. But most people don't know about the other three. Yeah, I and didn't like know Paul about Harvey used to say, now you know the rest of the story. <laughs> yeah, because uh, uh, I know that uh, you're a big part of Big Bob Clark being able to bring breed them too. You were just correct, you. and also I own half of the part of our deal was I own half of the heads, and he shipped them back to me, and I bred albinos too, uh, the same year he did. I mean, he probably hatched them first, and I mean, I don't care who did or who didn't; it doesn't matter. But but yeah, so it got me in the albino business too. And I, I remember that was a big thing. I couldn't when afford I, when to keep them. I had to sell them. You understand? Yeah. No. Yeah, I know you had to sell. But I didn't have time to breed them even. So by doing that with Bob and getting the heads back, it put me back in the game too. Which is that was good. Yeah. Um, your venomous collection. Um, how did you get started into the venomous? Hello. Hello. Yeah, and I can. Hear I, you. I said. Oh, your venomous collection. How did you get started into the go from the? Like, well, I mean, I always liked venomous snakes. I never went to venomous snakes. I've always had them. I mean, I caught an eastern diamondback rattlesnake when I was 12 years old. I kept them at home when I was in my teens. I worked oh, for Ross Allen and Denny Seville Snakeatorium and milking rattlesnakes and other venomous snakes and wrestling alligators. I mean, I was born in Florida. <laughs> I, I had my first cobra. I think I was 17 years old. Oh. I didn't just start. I did not know that. Well, I know you didn't just start. You've been doing it for many years. I mean, with the venomous, I mean, I mean, one of the tips days was specifically to catch a king cobra, which I did. So tell us a little bit about your collection you have right now that you're breeding and stuff. Well, it's just pretty much stuff I like. And, uh, I mean, we have all, uh, there's probably too much stuff to mention, but we have a plethora of species of pretty much all the families with the exception of crocodilians. I don't, breeding the crocodilians anymore, although I have bred 11 species of crocodilians back when I had the crocodile farm. <clears throat> I have a, um, probably 2,000 animals here in total on the farm that are permanent residents. When I have the babies, sometimes double that, but they go out quickly, you know, when in, the, in hatching season on iguanas and so forth. Um, uh, a lot of the stuff I'm pioneering now, keeping outside, including snakes, uh, some of the snakes that we keep outside, which has never been done before, are diamond pythons, and this year will be seven years breeding them, if I'm successful. Hopefully I will. Um, Western black-headed pythons, Sri Lankan pythons, reticulate pythons, big, big reticulate pythons, uh, um, Jamaican boas, uh, Bahama boas, uh, Cuban boas, um, uh, King Cobras, I keep some outside. I'm going to uh, probably this year have some Gaboon Vipers outside year-round and probably Main Shan Vipers. Now, mainly, mainly don't report them outside. It's not only pioneering, but it's really cool to be retired and get able to walk out your door, have a little reptile farm, and go walk around and look at Gaboon Vipers like, like they would be in the wild. Uh, they look way different than that would be. Trust me. That would be very much... A great way to live. Yeah. Now down there in Florida, you, you were telling me a little bit ago that it's going to get a little chilly tonight. Yeah, it's going to get down to 48. Effect? 
I have I have heated you? I have heated retreats okay. with heating pads in it that I can uh, lock the snakes up if I have to if it gets really cold. I have to do that maybe once or twice a year. Do I don't worry about putting them in unless it's going to drop below about fifty-two. Okay. Do you notice a difference in their uh, health or anything? Uh, yeah, for sure. Unbelievable difference. Huh. It's interesting to know. They're not, fat, outside they're not that. fat slugs because they can actually crawl around. Hmm. They're really cool. muscular. That's you great. Know, and real thick, but like it would be like the best-looking wild-caught snake you ever had in terms of health. That's what they look like. But they don't look like those fat, obese, overweight caricatures of what they should look like that you see at captive ones, especially like with the vipers and with like retics and that. I mean, I don't have a really big retic. There's one here probably 17 or 18 feet long, but it's got a huge head. It doesn't look anything like those little pinhead-looking ones in captivity that are obese. And it looks like what I used to see yeah. in Asia. Do you have any again, advice for anybody that was huge too? <laughs> oh yeah, I know. I I've seen some pictures of some of your enclosures. They're pretty big. Right. <laughs> yeah. Do, do you have any advice for anybody who is thinking about getting into venomous reptiles? Well, I mean, don't get in don't get into it for the wrong reasons. I mean, and as I told you, I had venomous reptiles for as long as I can remember. Okay, if you haven't loved venomous reptiles for as long as you can remember, then I don't know if you want to get into them or not because it's not a passion. You understand? That's true. And if you yeah, get into no, that's it true, to true. impress other people, I never gave a shit what other people thought anyway. I never, and I still don't. And I never did anything to impress anybody because I love the animals. But a lot of people today, they want to get their picture made holding a king cobra or something like that just so they can put it on Instagram or Facebook. You know, who gives a shit? All that stuff is, all those people are wannabes. That's it. And so if you want venomous snakes, the first thing you should do is you should learn a lot about it and get a mentor and learn how to do it. Because people get bitten and then it creates bad publicity, particularly if you buy it and you just want to... Uh, I mean, I've I mean, I, I, I've turned sales down on people that have never even had a snake and they want to buy a cobra. I mean, seriously, they do. And I just, you know, I won't sell them under those conditions. I can't, you know. I can't sell them under those conditions. No. But yet people do this stuff all the time, you know. So, I mean, I'm, I'm, I applaud someone wanting to keep them for the right reasons. It's great, and they're really rewarding, and there's nothing really much funner than that. But if, if you want to keep them just because you think you're going to impress someone or for some other macabre reason that, that makes no sense and has more to personality problems as opposed to you really wanting to do it for the sake of your interest or passion, then it's not the thing to do. No. Well, I have to agree with you there. Yeah, oh, I'm rambling almost, but I don't think I'm eloquent enough with words to really explain my feelings on that exactly. No, no, that that makes a lot of sense. Um, out of all your out of your whole collection, do you have anything that you would consider your favorite? Well, my favorites have always been the ground iguanas. Probably, if I had one reptile and I, that's all I could have, I would probably have rhino iguana. They're they're like pets. I mean, they really are. They're. For one thing, they really like people, and I, all of the ones that I have here now, all ones that I hatched and raised, and the oldest one is 17 years old, and my next favorite is he's 11, I think. But but everyone I've got here, you can put in the yard. I mean, they won't run away. They, You can carry them and walk around the yard with them. They come when they're called. It's amazing. 
Sounds like a dog almost, huh? Almost, yeah. <laughs> I mean, they're the closest yeah, thing to a pet very... you could probably ever get with a reptile. That's very, very interesting. Um, do you have any specific, anything exciting coming up, like anything, like with your breeding projects or anything? Well, what I'm really hoping for, I mean, shed vipers, we'll see. It's been, uh, this is the uh, seventh year of the project, so. That would be, that would be great. It would be that, so, so we'll see what happens. Oh, by the way, I've yeah, had we, blood pythons. I've had blood pythons outside now for two years with no issues. And they're supposed to be so intolerant, you know, cooler temperatures. And they're pretty yeah. cool at night for probably four or five months. And I've never even had one sick. That that is interesting to me because you and know I've that, always heard people say. I've heard a lot of people say that they can't tolerate much of a temperature fluctuation. Well, that's not true. I've temp gunned these down, and one time I forgot to turn the uh, to lock them in and, and turn the heating pad thing on inside, and they get their body temperature was eight degrees. What would, what temperature was that again? Or 48 degrees. Oh. And the next and day they were in fine. the sun, and they didn't even get a sniffle. Huh. Yeah. Well, obviously, with all your experiences, like, you figured this out very well, this whole how they like it. and I think it has, all has to do with the sun, and it has, I think it has to do not so much on how cold they get, but the, being able to pick the temperature they want to be at most of the time. And they can do that here. That makes a lot of sense. You're in, in, if you have a little cage, you have that same snake in? I mean, these are seven-foot blood pythons. I mean, one of them probably weighs 35 pounds. I mean, it could eat rabbits if we fed it to it. And honestly, uh, uh, people, if they kept that, would be keeping it probably a six-foot vision cage at best. And these are in great yeah. bags, like uh, eight by ten, you know, enclosures. So they can and water running, so part of it's like a swamp. People I mean, at home, when they keep them at home, they keep them in cages, and then they set the temperature that they think they should be at. Correct. And, and then, like you said, but, this, but the animal's not picking the temperature, and that's the thing. You know, like with this mon- these monitors, what everybody calls Rita stacks, after Frank Rita's developing them, just layers of board yeah. with the heat on top. All that's doing is giving the monitors the choice of the temperature to get. If they're cool, they'll be up at the top. If they're pretty hot, they're not going to be at the top. They might be at the bottom. And then they might go up a notch, and they go up another notch. You see what I'm saying? They're picking out where they want to be. That's all yeah. that's about. Very interesting that you've discovered all this, because a lot of people swear that, you know, you don't, people don't know what they're talking about, they need to have temperatures, but you obviously have proved out that you know exactly what you're talking about and that, this is the best way to keep well, it. Well, I'm actually doing it. Plus, you got to understand, I've been to where all these things come from. I mean, hell, I bet you yeah. if you ask a lot of the ball python people out there that have a lot of ball python, they can't even tell you the countries that ball pythons come from, much less <laughs> what, where, where they live in nature. So if you don't know that shit, how are you going to make decisions concerning yourself, you know, that are good ones? That, that's true. That's true. And you just pick up You've shit. You pick it right. It's not based on anything but an opinion, and really, your opinion is not 
not based on knowledge of any kind, just on what you think. And then there's people that haven't been doing it as long as you have either. Right. Well, I bet you, you know, even me, though, I wouldn't assume anything like that. I have a curious mind, a really, really curious mind, and I want to know. I always do. That's a good thing. Well, yep. that's a good thing. Yeah, it is. So, uh, is there? do you have any regrets over your whole career? Anything that you think that you shouldn't have done or you should have done differently? No, the only regrets that I like could that? possibly have in my career at all would be there were times when I got shipments in that they would put in uh, uh, these lizards that would die quick, like even in the baby wild-caught iguanas and the pet store-type lizards and and I, and I bought those lizards and sold them, and really the mortality on that stuff is about 100%. Now, it's not that it's, that it's wrong morally or anything else. Uh, I mean, all of it's on a sustainable yield basis for the most part anyway, because almost all those lizards are going to die anyway. Very few are going to grow up to be adults, even if they weren't shipped in. But morally, from my point of view, I didn't like it, because I knew that they all were going to die, but yet I sold them anyway. That would be the only regret I would have. Okay. Um, now, with all these laws that they're trying to pass against the reptile community, um, where do you think that the hobby will be in five years? I think, I don't do think, you... I know. I, I heard this morning already that um, they did on the news this morning Another thing, you know, where you could buy reptile, venomous reptiles over the Internet. Yeah. But it's the same story they ran about two years ago with that guy in New York, Tom Hudak, and what have you. And I think they bought a Cobra or Mamba or something. And that means that they're running the same story like it's a new story. And if they are, and it appears to be the same story. The reason is I, I saw it on, on, on uh, social media and looked it up and followed through with it. It's exactly the same story that I saw. So if, in fact, it, it was run this morning, that means that there is that the government is trying to turn public opinion against any keeping of exotics by encouraging the news media to do this sort of thing. This happens all the time, you know. Yeah. And uh, that's that means we can't really win. And I think at best hmm. what we'll have is some sort of a whitelist, maybe. Huh. That's a shame. I mean, I hate to say that, but I mean, when you see it on that level against you, how do you fight that? Yeah, it's almost impossible. Because they're, they're really turning the public against people keeping exotics completely. So, but, uh, so you think we're in a little bit of trouble here then? I'm sorry? So you think we're in a little bit of trouble then coming up I here? I do. Well, we're having trouble right now. But I just think long-term that the pressure is really on the herp, you know, community at large. And I think that the powers that be think that they don't see good reasons for the general public to have venomous reptiles or giant constrictors or crocodilians or any number of herps like that. So it seems, based on what I see, I, first of all, I see that paper put up by the USGS, which wasn't even peer-reviewed, by Rod and Reed, and put out as factual. And I see all the other papers that the biologists are prodded and 
and sometimes even uh, paid to, to research to, to take. But that's where science is used for political expediency. And then you have the, all of the news stuff about all the Burmese overrunning Florida and all that, and I live here, and that's not true. There are pythons here, yes. Uh, are they really common? No, they're not. I mean, I've only seen one or two in the last, like, three years. And I live a mile from the National Park, and they're in the neighborhood here, and I've seen two. And, uh, and one of those was a roadkill. And, and we hunt them even, and we still don't find them. Uh, I mean, you can find them, but, I mean, it's just not, they're not anything like what you would think, you know, if you listen to the news. Yeah. And I think all this and, stuff uh, is done just to turn public opinion against the ke- keeping of most exotics by the by the private citizen. That's what I think. That's a shame. You know, I know. Uh, someone like someone like you who's been around the world and caught all this stuff would be an expert to run out and try to catch them. And you're not, you can't find them real well, you said, so they must not be as prevalent as they say they are. Well, no, I mean, they're, they're so. here. I mean, you just, you, I mean, you just can't just go out and find them, though. It's, I mean, they're not that common. Hmm. Um, do you, can, you want to give yourself a shout-out for your uh, web page or anything like that? Uh, sure. Uh, the web page is TomCrutchfield.com, uh, and please feel free to visit. We're also active on Facebook. I don't do too much on Instagram, but on Facebook on Tom Crutchfield, and also there's a Tom Crutchfield Reptiles page. And, uh, you know, if people have any questions on reptiles, whether you get them from me or somebody else, we can help you. We always will. I've always done that my whole life, so. I mean, problems with your animals, right. how to keep them or anything like that. I mean, I can't go into huge amounts of detail, but if you have questions, I always try to answer them. Okay. Well, my show is pretty short, so thank you okay. for coming on. It was well, a great thanks, honor thanks to have you on invi- my show. Thank you for inviting me. And uh, I hope uh, I hope you get your breeding projects that you're trying to work out this year. I hope it all happens for you. And um, I'll be watching on Facebook to see because you always post some pictures and stuff like that. So um, you have a great day and great weekend. Thank you very Alrighty, much for being on my you. show. And I'll tell you what, if we if I get main sham vipers, we're going to have a big party. That's going to be one of the most exciting breedings for me that I've ever done. Okay. I'll be looking forward to seeing, all the, seeing it all happen. All right. Um, have a good one. Thanks. Bye. You too. Have a good weekend. Bye. Clutchfield, everyone, and... Uh, He's a great man, and he's a great pioneer for the show, um, for the reptile hobby, and it was a pleasure, it was an honor to have him on my show, and I would, I'm going to work out something for next week that'll be just as interesting. Um, I'm working on it right now, so please join me next week, and thank you for tuning in. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Dakota Aquatics. Please join us next week for another fun-filled episode. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry. 
sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.